Welcome to The Futurist with your hosts, Ben Rohde and Alex Lightman. Each week, we feature a specific aspect of our collective future with action steps you can take to make your own future better and brighter. Our guest experts are top futurists in their field who will remind you that anything is possible. Give us 90 minutes and we'll give you the future. Good morning, everybody. Super excited about today's show because, uh, you know, we'll be talking about food and probiotics, blah, 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 and lightsabers, which is the the most exciting thing to me, Um, especially as somebody who I I never watched Star Wars until um, my wife made me a couple years ago. And then I watched all of them and fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, my God, everybody should watch Star Wars. And then I realized I was the only person that hadn't. Um, anyway, I'm, <laughs> so. he's Ben Rohde and I'm Alex Lightman and welcome to our show <laughs> on the Luckily, future of food the intro said and all probiotics that. and also including lightsabers. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're excited to introduce our, our guest, John Sutton, who I'm excited to learn about too. Alex had amazing things to say about him and, uh, he was good. Alex was telling me that, that John was saving several secrets for the show, but one of them was lightsabers. And uh, when oh, you hear no, about it, oh no, I knew it, about he, lightsabers. He, they're secrets even from me. So there are things that he's going to say that he said that would surprise me. So let's introduce our guest. Uh, John Sutton lives in Malibu, and he has been running businesses that import uh, delicious and tasty foods and beverages. Uh, and from all around the world into the United States for decades. And I've known John uh, since about the turn of the millennium. We have uh, hundreds of friends in common. And John introduced me to a person who introduced me to one of the most important people in my life uh, for business. And so he's opened doors to me all around the world through, uh, through the people he knows. Um, he has had personal meetings with uh, the Pope, uh, the last pope and the current pope, and has uh, been on archeolo- uh, ar- um, archaeological digs. And one of the things that I really enjoy about John is he's so knowledgeable about history and can put things in a historical context. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And what John is working on now is a television show where he travels around the world to find the origins of food, of Certain kind of where you know where does the avocado come from? Where does cinnamon come from? And goes to that place and interviews people. So he has a sense. He set his palate to know what the original food, rather than the copies that we sometimes get, um, where it came from. So uh, John, are you are you here? I'm here. I'm here. Thanks, Hello, Alex. Great introduction. Appreciate that. Sure. So, John, how did you get started in the business of food, and why, why do you work in food, and why do you work with beverages, and um, what have you learned from your, your time in the business? You know, uh, what's incredible is just traveling around the world. I uh, went to school in Switzerland to receive an economics program, and from there started working in Russia in the early 90s and uh, got involved in the food business. What what was amazing for me is just looking at different parts of the world, what areas have a competitive advantage for food. At that time, Russia had vodka. Um, I had gone, I had a friend who was in Mexico City and realized how many foods actually Mexico has 
that are indigenous to its country, avocado being one of them. Uh, people don't realize that the avocado was from Mexico. So is the uh, so are tomatoes, vanilla. So the vanilla bean is not from Madagascar, not from Tahiti. It's actually from a small valley in Mexico. And so realizing that, you know, the best food is going to come from areas where essentially it's from. It's originally from because of climate reasons, because of water reasons, because of natural fertilizer reasons. And uh, I decided to package all of that up and go to 48 countries around the world and bring all that stuff here. Um, what's what's your own diet like, and what kind of foods do you um, do you like to eat, and what foods have uh, are very different in which the the original food that uh, is very different from what people in America would be eating or people in other places would be eating? Great question. There's no question. There's no. I I absolutely have an avocado in the morning. I mean, people look at, at uh, oh, avocado has fat in it, but it's a good fat. It's a complex fat. And eating that avocado in the morning um, is just is so beneficial for you. Now, the avocado that's grown in California, in my opinion, is completely different than the avocado that comes from the Michoacan Valley in Mexico, where avocados are from. Um, it's from a volcanic region in Mexico. It has natural soils from the volcanoes. Um, it's a semi-tropical region, so it has natural rain growing on there. Uh, there is no fertilizer used. Here in California, um, they're heavily fertilized because they're essentially grown in a desert. The water that's brought to them all the way from Northern California is uh, sent there by the canals, by the California aqueduct. But UV, UV light is used to kill things, and so you have UV light basically killing all of the nutrients in the water for 500 miles to get to its source by watering this stuff here in California. So it's just, you know, I'd love to actually bring to a science lab an avocado from its natural volcanic slope in, in Mexico or an avocado that's basically in the Southern California desert by the Salton Sea. <laughs> yeah, so this that is, is important. That, I want to make sure people understand what you're saying. What uh, the water that is grown. Uh, so uh, I'm going to elaborate on two things you said here and, and expand upon them. The first is the importance of good fats. Uh, the, if you're in ketosis uh, you're, and you're running your body on ketones or ketone bodo, uh, bodies like beta-hydroxybutyrate or acetoacetone, your brain works 28% better, your heart works 28% better, your lungs, your mitochondria, and you have 42% more blood flow to your brain in ketosis. Uh, ketosis means that you're not running your body uh, or your brain on glucose. There's a little tiny bit of glucose that's needed uh, on the order of 50 calories for the anterior cingulate uh, gyrate, but, uh, which the body can make, but otherwise you can run the whole body on ketones. So starting the day, starting the morning with an avocado um, and basically being in ketosis, if you can exercise, is extremely healthy. 
And the second thing is that um, the water that we have that grows 40% of the fruits, nuts, and vegetables in the country for the Central Valley of California, if it comes from the Salton Sea, that's really bad news. I didn't know that. Does the does, does Salton Sea actually water California's crops? You know, I, it, it, it does and it doesn't. Um, it's the canals that basically come from regions of uh, northern California and the canals that come from the, uh, the lake, Lake Mead and such, that, that bring that to the deserts of southern California. And it's essentially dead water. When it arrives, that water has been completely UV radiated, and any nutrients that have come out of that system, it's completely dead, and that's what's watering a lot of our crops. And so, you know, it's the one thing that, yeah, we're having less and less water, but the other thing is that water is com completely devoid of nutrients, so what do we do? We have to fertilize all of that stuff. And so it's a, a, you know, it's one big vicious cycle. And the outcome of that food, it's just, it's just not good for you. I mean, you know, I mean, the fact that we're growing certain nuts that take so much water, and yet that water is, is bad water, and it has to be fertilized on top of that, it, it, it's pretty mind-blowing. I mean, to me, a better nut is the pistachio. And why? It's because the pistachio requires... Uh, essentially a lot less water than an almond does. I mean, it, it's yeah, I think isn't it less. Isn't it something like a gallon of water per almond or something yes. crazy like that? And, yes, uh, and we're, so we're importing water, it's dead water, and we're spraying pesticides that kill bees all to have almonds. Um, what what should we be eating? What's the most sustainable, healthy food that we can be eating today? Well, I when I when I look at that, I I think from a, a protein standpoint, there you you look at what you could eat, and there's no question we should absolutely be eating less meat. I mean. To the, the hamburger places that have opened up all over the place, it just defies me that, that we're stuffing meat constantly in our system. And that, that is just something we should be eating less and less of. And even, even you know, chicken is a great uh, healthy alternative, but even better than that is rabbit. Um, rabbit is, drinks so much less water, eats foods that humans don't eat. So rabbits are eating foods um, like alfalfa that we don't eat. So it's a species that's not competing against us for the food chain like chicken is, like meat is. And rabbits, you know, populate heavily. It's a delicious, tasty food. And it's something that we should absolutely be eating more and more of. But, um, you know, the cute furry rabbit and all of that stuff is kind of what's destroyed that uh, in our minds. But there was a time and place that we ate an enormous amount of rabbit until the Easter bunny came around. And so here in America, we tend to uh, historically put advertisements on things that either uh, are furry and funny and cute and either get you to eat food or 
there or does not get you to eat food. I mean, Santa Claus was responsible for, yeah, bringing gifts, but also bringing Coca-Cola into your house. So, you know, is that a good thing? Not necessarily. The good thing is the present, but not the Coca-Cola. And so getting back to, you know, what what's the really good stuff you should be eating is essentially a lot of, of nuts in your diet too. There's no question when you look at Proteins. So I can I have one one bit of nutty nutty good wisdom to share, and that is that we have about sixty elements that we need to have from the periodic chart of the elements, mm-hmm. and that selenium is one of those that's on there. But we need it in very limited, minute quantities. So the proper dosage, if we talk about medicine, as if it's a prescription, is three Brazil nuts a week, no mm-hmm. more, no less. Do you have any other uh, rules of thumb for what? Uh, nuts we should be eating and in what quantities we should be eating them? Well, the, the quantities, I, you know, I think every meal that you should have should be no bigger than your fist. Yeah, the human being does not need to be shoveling enormous amounts of food into our system. We can survive on a relatively small amount of food. So anything larger than making a fist at any given point in time during a meal um, stop, you know, put the fork down. And so if you're going to be eating a meal consisting of, of nuts, just hold out your fist and put a portion uh, where that fist is of the nuts you're going to eat. And that should be part of that meal. Um, and, you know, an incredible source of nuts actually for protein purposes is a peanut. You'd be surprised how complex and healthy a peanut is. Um, yeah, there are peanut allergies. So what are some alternatives of that? Lentils are a tremendous uh, protein punch for you. And, you know, there's nothing like a great lentil soup. Um, chickpeas and kidney beans. These are, you know, really uh, more on the legume side of things. They're not nuts, but it's, uh, those things are very, very, very good for you. Sunflower seeds, if you're looking at seeds, uh, sunflower seeds are tremendous. What they're realizing now are the breakthroughs of the pine nut. That's really the next big future. When people realize how important and revolutionary the pine nut is going to be on one's body, on medicine, uh, the breakthroughs of the pine nut that are just beginning to trend are amazing. In fact, I'm heading in two weeks to Novosibirsk in Russia, go to the science labs of uh, one of their good food institutions to look at all these breakthroughs that have recently been done with the oils uh, of the pine nut used in medicine, used in digestion, used in all sorts of things. It's, I'm very excited about that. What's so revolutionary about the pine nut? What's so good about it? I mean, I've you know, had them uh, many times and I enjoy them. And I like them on my salad, but I, I'd never heard of them described as revolutionary before. You know, it, from from the initial science that I've seen, and again, I ha- I've, I'm going out there to take a look at it. It's really the oil that's in that pine nut. Uh, you know, how you look at parts of the world where things um, are have survived tremendous uh, stress from a uh, 
tremendous stress from cold, from heat, from wind. And you, you go to these regions of the world and see, geez, what is edible that has come out of that? What has survived so much uh, uh, natural violence from the cold and the stresses of the environment? And to have a tree like the pine tree, A, survive that and then produce something like a pine nut that's going to perpetuate the species, and that's edible. There's something there that is um, strong. There's something there that's biologically uh, there for a reason to perpetuate that species in incredible harsh environments. And so I want to try that. I want to put that in my system and body. And now they're taking those nuts and their oil and they're using it as um, in a natural, you know, biotic for your skin, you know, not, you know, not neosporin or not something like that to protect you against cuts over there. They actually have a jelly made from pine nut oil and that goes over your cuts. It, it, it reduces scarring. There's all sorts of amazing things coming out of there. Uh, they use it for um, a natural lip balm instead of what's the brand that everybody uses? Well, they actually found chapstick. out that there's, I, chemi I, there's chapstick. There's chemicals in chapstick that make it addicting. Okay. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, and it's petroleum based. I mean, it's like you're you're smearing oil. Like imagine you're going putting your lips on oil on the ground. It's like what are people thinking? Yeah. You know, so, you know, those are just one of the what, things. What are the chemicals in chapstick that make it addicting? You know, I, I, I don't have the data in front of me, but if you, uh, you know, several people have told me that, you know, chapstick from a flavor standpoint, you know, the cherry and the different flavors when they started coming out with that was really not to make it taste good, but to make it addicting. You know, one of our most powerful scents that we don't, think about or use is the sense of smell. So in these science labs, in these food companies, the smell is what makes so much of our food addicting. And, the, you know, all of these large fast food companies, these product companies, they have essentially taken our sense of smell and our sense of smell dominates when our brain is hungry and that gets us to use subliminally a lot of the bad products that we use today. And essentially, hunger is such an overpowering force in our body. I mean, whether you realize it or not, and a lot of times that hunger comes from being dehydrated. So if, if you're hungry, maybe you're just dehydrated. Just take a glass of water. Take a couple of glasses of water and see what happens. It's amazing. And that water that you want to drink, make sure it comes from, you know, a natural source, not uh, from a well that's been treated poorly and that type of thing. And I think we don't drink enough water. And that's another big thing is, is if you're on an airplane and you're traveling, don't get a don't get a soda. Don't get something um, that has anything else in it except water. But the problem is, is the airlines, the water they give you is, again, dead water. And it's treated with chemicals. It's treated with chlorine. It's treated with all sorts of stuff um, 
for you and, you know, really look for water that comes from a natural mineral source. What What's your recommended brand of water and how much water uh, do you uh, drink or it, do you have a recommended filtering system or way of dealing with water? Um, I have, uh, I use Beyond O2, which is alkaline water that I get in Santa Monica, um, it's kind of expensive, but I get it in five-gallon jugs. I, I fill up there at the store, and uh, I feel pretty good. Uh, what are your recommendations? Well, it's interesting. I, I've traveled around the world with executives of most of the major store companies from Costco, uh, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Publix, uh, Kroger, which is the parent company in Ralph's. And when I was traveling throughout Russia with two of the heads – food buyers and scientists of Whole Foods, um, one of them made a comment to me. He says, you know what? If you drink a good mineral water, if you drink a really good mineral water, you don't have to take any supplements because the amount of minerals that are in that water for you that goes through your system is really all you need. And there's a water in Georgia called Bajorme. It's, it's a water that is a mineral water that I use and take, and uh, it's not even sold really. There's only one place I know in Los Angeles where it's sold, at the small little Russian deli. And I go there and I get all of my mineral water because it, it, what it has in there for you is so beneficial. And that's from the whole food guy that was taking a look at this. And so um, that's the water I get, and it, and it it, it's historically been in Georgia for, for hundreds of years. It's a spring area where people would go and go in the waters to rehabilitate themselves from sickness and illness. And water has such a historical um, purity. It, it, when you look at where the Greeks and the Romans would go and bury their dead, the largest necropolis on earth, uh, which is the largest cemeteries in the Roman world were built in areas where there were mineral springs, mineral springs and mineral water. Well, that tells you something. Why did people think that you had to travel thousands of miles in some cases to go to an area that had bubbling mineral water springs? Um, one of those springs is in Turkey. And, uh, uh, in Turkey, and the people would travel from Rome all the way to Turkey to go to the mineral waters and the mineral springs to drink that water. That's amazing. I'm back, by the way. Hi. Hi, Ben. Um, Welcome back. <laughs> Hi. Thanks. So I, I, I love that. And, and here's the thing, like even natives who like native natives would settle around clean water sources. Yeah. Like water is life. And that's actually part of the reason that we picked this very specific location in Costa Rica because, and, and we bought, we bought land around here is because it is the fourth cleanest water source in the world. And if the rest of the world dried up, there would still be water, clean water, flowing through here water is life absolutely i mean um and this is this is why the 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 north dakota pipeline and and all that stuff is going on right now like it it takes the native americans the people that are the most connected to the land and to the earth saying hey guys we can't drink oil here 
Uh, uh, yeah, ben is, ben is referring to the protests that the native peoples uh, have for running a pipeline under a river, and which they consider sacred uh, across their lands, and the the treaties that were signed with the native peoples here, uh, who I'm told prefer to be called Indians, um, uh, have basically say that they have sovereignty over their land, and running a pipeline yeah. under a river isn't really sovereignty. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I, I look at that and I'm just thinking to myself that isn't there a better solution to all of that stuff? Um, you know, <laughs> at, at, at the end of the day, you know, I forgot the quote, but there was a, a, a really well-known Native American that essentially said that when when you can't, you know, when you uh, when you cut down all the trees, when you can't eat oil anymore, when all the fish are gone, when all this stuff is depleted, then you're going to be able to sit down and really eat money, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. Chief, that's Chief Seattle. And there was, a, I forgot the quote, but I, I, I love that quote. And I, you know, I, I really, you know, have a sensitivity to historically what the Native Americans have done for survival, the Shumash tribes, what they ate in the sea, um, where they respected their lands and all of that. And I, I, I really would like to look into more of that because they were really the true sustainable culture here in California. Um, I mean, throughout North America, but uh, there's a lot of validity in what they fished off the coast. And if you actually go to Malibu, there is uh, the, the, the center in Malibu, the Adamson House used to be a Chumash a, not only burial ground, but um, it was the mouth of Malibu Creek where there was an active Chumash local tribe. And there you can go in the back and there's, a, there's mounds where they found bone hooks and they found a lot of abalone shells and a tremendous amount of um, uni. So they, they ate very well. They had uni, they had abalone, they had halibut and the bones that are piled up there. You really get a understanding of what the coastal uh, tribes went and ate here in Southern California. Have you spent time with uh, Indian tribes or uh, anything close in your travels? You know, I, I, the, it's interesting. I haven't really. And uh, you just made me, I'm, I'm going to make that a priority. I just wrote that <laughs> down. I'm Can I go with that, you? I'll go I'm with gonna, you. I'm going to make that a priority. And there's actually, if you go to Sweden, which uh, I have a product that a couple of products that come from Sweden, but uh, in the North, the native there, Sweden has natives, just like we have natives and the Swedish tribe in the North are the, the Laplanders or the Laps and they are the reindeer he, uh, herders. They, they, do, they speak a completely different language than they don't speak Swedish. They complete a completely different language like our Native American language. Was. Oh, my gosh. So do they know what happened to all the reindeer over there? Well, they are the reindeer herders. So they, they have been herding reindeer. They have been living that life, um, you know, pre-Roman. I mean, that, that is one of the tribes that are still up there, and people really have no idea about it, how they cultivate food, how they live in the forest, how their whole well-being is uh, still to this day uh, uh, 
cutting and, and storing and everything during the summer and keeping it that way in the winter. And there's a restaurant called Farfan, which is up in the north, a very famous chef, Magnus. And he essentially uh, creates dishes around that culture during the time of the year that they practice their hunting, their fishing, their way of life is totally different in what they're eating in the summertime than how they've stored and prepared everything uh, during the wintertime. That's just one tribe. And also in Russia, in the north, kind of how we have our Inuits, which are our Native American tribe in um, Alaska. Well, Russia has a, an amazing old population of uh, their, their natives that are there. And uh, what they have done, what they've used, the clothing they used is quite remarkable. And uh, there's a lot to say at what they stored and how they lived and what they did and the medicine they used. I mean, still, it's tremendous how so much of our modern day uh, culture from large pharmaceutical companies haven't gone and penetrated those native cultures around the world. And what are they using for medicine? How have they sustained themselves? for thousands and thousands of years, there's really something to say about that. <laughs> and I think, I think a lot of the times we're yeah. sitting, spending billions in these labs, creating another form of destruction called an antibiotic for our bodies. What is their natural probiotic that they use? What is it? It's interesting. Yeah. So what is it? Well, uh, you know, it's a good question. I mean, they, they, their, their science is something to be studied. I, I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I, I'm just talking to you. It's occurring to me it's something that should be really looked at. I mean, I know in Tunisia, I bring several items from Tunisia to the United States, and their native culture are what's called the Berbers. And the Berbers have a completely different way of living. Um, what they eat for breakfast is just this powder, which is a mixture of 23 uh, nuts, grains, and spices that's in a powder form that they grind down. And then they add olive oil in there because olives have been, there's 2,000-year-old olive trees that are still growing in Tunisia. Actually, Caesar conquered uh, Tunisia. At the time, it was called Africa. And Africa was their colony there. And he came and conquered it because it was the entire breadbasket for the Mediterranean, the Phoenicians. I mean, if you look at the layers of culture there, the reason that they were there because of its sustainable environment. People think it's a desert. It's in North Africa. No, there's running rivers there. There's huge pine forests. There's mountains. There's snow in the north and deserts in the south. Uh, it's where the date palm is originally from. Um, and but anyway, these Berbers grind down this powder and they pour olive oil in it and they mix it up into a paste. And it's the most delicious, sustainable breakfast that you can have. And it's what has kept them, you know, when when the when the Romans came and conquered, when the Phoenicians came, um, when the Normans came there, and even during World War II, when Rommel and MacArthur were fighting in the deserts and the locals had to run away in the mountains, 
this powder sustain them in all wow. of those thousands of years. So Do those they are the sell kind this of powder somewhere? They don't sell it. In fact, I was just made aware of this, I'd say, about a year and a half ago. And it's a very labor-intensive powder. And my next trip back there, I'm, I'm going to really dig into that, uh, what is in there, go locally and see the, uh, the Berbers grinding it, see what that all is, and, uh, and bring it back. I mean, olive Sounds oil Sounds like a is, killer product. It does. It does. Um, they make harissa there, and harissa is this red uh, – it's, it's kind of the future uh, – how we know sriracha and that type of thing – we're going to start understanding what harissa is. And harissa is a, basically a red chili pepper that's grown in Cap Bon um, for centuries there. Uh, then they mix olive oil and cumin and a few other spices and create this chili paste. And that chili paste is so tasty, so delicious. Um, the antioxidants of that chili and the vitamin C in there is so beneficial to you. Um, and that that paste is something that has been been used and from that region for many years to garnish products to use as a uh, you know over fish and over meats and uh, it's really something else. I, I, I love going to Tunisia. Cool. So I have a question. I, I had a friend who uh, worked for an olive oil company, and I, I I can't even remember his name, so I can't I can't look him up right now. But he he was telling me how most olive oil is actually rancid olive oil, and then they, because it it comes from far away, and they have to process it, and and, and most and, of it is fake too. It's one of the mafia's yeah. big profit centers. Whoa. Okay, here here is what is an olive? An olive is a fruit. Okay, so when you squeeze fruit, what do you have? You have fruit juice. So essentially, olive oil is the fruit of, is, is fruit juice, if you take a look at it that way. Would you want to store fruit juice for years and years and years? No. Olive oil lasts maximum one year. Go right now to your cupboard wow. and see the date of that olive oil. And if it's more than a year old, throw it out. What do the Whoa. Italians do on New Year's? What do the Italians do in Italy? The first thing they do is celebrate, say hi, and before they go to bed, they throw out their olive oil. It's a tradition, <laughs> okay? Because in January is when the new olive oil comes out. So olives are harvested essentially in October, November, December, O-N-D. Uh, the olives are then harvested, crushed, pressed, and then put in bottles available for delivery in January in the Mediterranean and 30 days to get here to the United States. So really the fresh Olive oil arrives in the U.S. in February. Anything that is bottled, that has a date that's bottled in April and May, and they're tricking you on that process, run away from it. They're crooks. Tunisia is the second largest producer of olive oil in the world. Who buys the most olive oil from Tunisia? Italy does. Because Italy buys the olive oil from Tunisia, brings it over to Italy, puts their olive oil in there and other things that are not olive oil. And it says made in Italy and they bring it right. to the United States. So right. 90% of the olive oil that says made in Italy in the United States is from Tunisia. And people don't realize that. And it is a 
It is a scandal like you cannot believe. It is, a, it is terrible. And, and you want, all you have to do is look at a bottle of olive oil. And it'll say 100% uh, virgin olive oil. But when you flip it around and it says where the olive oil comes from, most of those olive oils list five countries, Greece, Spain, Tunisia. I mean, it's Italy, uh, all of these, Turkey. And they, they put it in these giant vats, mix it up. A lot of that olive oil is two, three years old. It's dead. It's rancid. Oh, my gosh. They mix it all up and sell it to you. I mean, it's, it's really bad. Um, I know, you know, you look at stores. Where would you go to to find you know, olive oil that I know that they take a lot of attention looking at that um, is Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. Now, yes, there's a couple of bad apples on the shelf because normally you go and you see, you know, five or six different types of olive oil, but make sure the date is around January, February, March, where it's been that, where that, uh, where the bottle has been finished packaging, it then rolls through a labeler that, puts the date on there when that bottle has been <laughs> done and then goes out. But even there's, there's, you know, what certain countries do is they bottle the olive oil. They know it hasn't been, they know they're not going to sell it this year. Those bottles sit for a year and then they run it through a date machine and that thing puts on a date, but that is not really the right date that that has been made. There are so many tricks out there it's incredible. oh my gosh wow so yeah my friend was telling me I, I forget what it was like so he was saying don't buy from I forget if it was Spain or Greece or Italy and only buy from blank but you're you're saying it's just look at the date and go to credible uh resources yeah I mean look at the date look at the back and make sure we're, that the olive oil only comes from that country you're buying it from so if you buy an olive oil from Spain make sure it's the there's only Spain where the source of the olive oil comes from so also stay away from bottled in so I you could basically go to any country in the world and say it's bottled in Italy but it doesn't mean that it's from Italy or it's bottled in Spain well it doesn't mean that olive oil is from Spain. It has to say, you know, produced in um, and really look at the labels and the date because olive oil lasts for a maximum of 12 months period. If you have olive oil that's been in your shelf for over a year, throw it out. It is no good. It's not like wine. It doesn't age gracefully at all. It's, uh, it becomes rancid and think of it as a fruit juice and would you keep orange juice for over a year in your own home? I don't think so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm one of those people that um, I'm a total olive oil snob. So I've been, I've been trying to get this information. Like I'm one of those people that drinks olive oil straight out of the bottle to see if, you know, it's going to taste good on my salad or not. Ah, um, that explains how you're able to go so long without eating and not being uncomfortable. So you're naturally, from your habits, you're in ketosis, which takes away cravings for, for junk food. Oh, that's cool. Well, I just haven't had – we don't have junk food in our house, you know. It's, it's quite extraordinary. Um, John, do you – and uh, Ben, do you mind if we talk for a second about the food labeling? Why uh, is it so difficult – 
to all agree politically that we should simply label food accurately? Why are there these debates against uh, labeling GMOs? Why are these? The, why don't we label foods accurately? What, what's the what's the problem? How, why in the 21st century have we not just established that people should have information to make the proper decisions? Because if if the right information was actually put on the labels of food, you know, 75% would receive an F on that product for all sorts of reasons. You know, um, it, it, all of these major food companies, the chemicals they're adding, uh, the foodborne illnesses that are involved in them, the glycemic levels in there, the allergens, their effect on the environment, would, if all of those factors really were put on the labels correctly, you would have a majority of the food companies here in the U.S. in deep trouble. I mean, uh, it, it, they are lobbying like you won't believe to make sure that the truth is not told in these labelings. From freshness to the ingredients, from the true labeling of vitamins that should be in there. Um, I mean, it, there's a lady, uh, her name is Marion Nestle, and she's come up with the best labeling you could ever want to be involved with. Essentially labeling something with a grade, like you go into a restaurant and it says A, B, C. And she's like taking in all of these factors from essentially from welfare, you know, how the product impacts animal and worker well-being. You know, we don't, we don't, we look at the animal well-being. How are the workers affected? How are their well-being? I mean, it, 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 people never look at that. The foodborne illnesses are very important. I mean, we need to have pathogen and salmonella uh, labeling on there because a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, it has to have these germ safer things on there. So, also, what about a glycemic level that should be there? I mean, right now, uh, we're having a huge diabetes problem. So they basically said, oh, it has a lot of sugar on there. Well, that's, there's great sugars, you know? There's good sugars and bad sugars. You know the whole debate about why is, why is Mexican Coca-Cola here so uh, sought after? Because in Mexico, they don't use corn-based sugar. They use Same thing in real Costa Rica. sugar cane. So the sugar that you're getting here in your Coca-Cola is putting rust in your body. It's acid. It is from corn. It's, it is so destructive. You have no idea. So right now everybody's clamoring to get that type of soda from Mexico, but it's still, you know, soda, you know, it's like just because it's from Mexico doesn't mean, I mean, maybe the sugar's a little beneficial for you, but the whole overall product I don't think is good. So it, there should be a GI index on your food, essentially. There, there really should be. And what is that? It should show the impact on your, your blood level, on your glucose level. And it should be certified by the FDA. And essentially a little thing that says GI, and it shows medium, low, and high. What's wrong with that? We have a massive diabetes problem. Why isn't that on the label? You know, the allergens, we've got to have that. Like peanuts and people have you know, explosion of different allergens. It should have a little sign for that. And there's got to be an ethos and safety labeling on there that, you know, basically there's factors totally beyond our control that you need to show what those factors are. And all of that combined should be put into a grade. Grade A is great. Grade, you know, grade B is good. C, 
D not great, an F for junk. And there should be a label on that that shows that. And But the, the, the powers that be, the food business, the hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, basically trying to uh, stop all of that from happening is going on every single day. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the FDA, like, it would be great if we could leave it up to the FDA to label that, but we all know that's not going to happen. Um, so, like, what do we have to, like, keeping it in the future, what do we have to do? Like, do you have an answer to that? What can What's we do? What's the future of food labeling in a perfect world? Yeah, yeah. That's uh that's a very good, that's a very good question. Um, I think, I think it would be really cool to, you know, to have a third party do this intense labeling like Marion does. Um, and I think, I think if you look to the future of where supermarkets should go, if a supermarket took that labeling process on their own, where they actually had the scientists and the people put the properly proper labeling on there from a third party to where, yeah, you go and you see the federal guidelines on one end, but then their real ethical labeling standpoint on the other. That's where I think a lot of this is going because we are not. Well, this is, I mean, that's the problem. Our, the problem, yeah. I mean, they do this with organic too. I mean, you can have an organic label, but there are so many foods that aren't, or aren't that are organic, but aren't, certified or labeled organic because they don't have the money to do it. It's all an expensive process. Well, here, here's the issue. And I go through this all over the world. The FDA essentially has created all of these food safety laws, which, which were created by large corporations here in the United States to essentially keep out food from around the world coming into the United States. So what they, so I know a specific factory that creates, I've been there, I look what they create. It's all natural ingredients. It's, it's completely fertilizer free. It's amazing. They cannot bring their products here in the United States because the FDI, FDA requires so many food certificates that that factory cannot afford the $250,000 it takes to certify that factory. And, exactly. And they make these small businesses go through so many hoops that they, they just give up and they cannot bring their products here to the U.S. And I think it's unconscionable. I really do. Because you really want to look for food products around the world that are naturally from those areas because the competitive advantage they have, the taste, the quality, the lack of uh, of resources that requires to do all of that. I mean, I forgot the number, Alex, but I think, I think it's 40% of the electricity generated in the state of California goes to pump water across the, across the state. I think it's even wow. more than that. So I think it's even more than that. So if you look at the total amount spent on electricity in the state of California, it goes to pump water. Well, that's, wow. that's ridiculous. And then we, you know, and then they're, 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 they're realizing all of these factors where we should be getting food where there's naturally running water. Um, I think, I think the future of food in a major way is going to be in Russia. Russia doesn't even realize what they have. They have three of the largest rivers in the world, the Volga, the Lena, and I forgot the other one. The Volga river spills out over this 
vast plain that goes into the Caspian Sea. It, it, there, it has been completely devoid of any fertilizer use because it, really nothing is grown there for so long because Russia has imported so much of their food. Well, what's happening now is because... Sorry, is, is fertilizer, just to have a context for this conversation, is fertilizer bad? You seem to, to, to put it into the category of a, of a pollutant or a toxin. I do because they're uh, essentially the fertilizers that we're using in mass scale here has so many secondary effects that are devastating to the environment. For instance, if you've looked at the green algae blooms that are occurring in California and also in Florida right now, that's a direct effect from the phosphorus that's essentially used to fertilize so many of our, 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 our uh, places. Now, that's controlled by very, very powerful companies. There is, a, there is a total solution to that, and that's essentially a biological active agent for organic farming. It's essentially there are probiotics that absolutely need to be used for our farming. You know, from the, do, you, you know, do, you, do you want to tell us about this probiotic that you know of or have access to? I do. I, I, think, I think this is one of the, the, the future most tremendous breakthroughs that I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I've gone and looked at so many different things uh, from a historical standpoint, uncovering where uh, the real Santa Claus was from and all these things. But essentially, <laughs> um, looking at our, our entire system from from a biological standpoint and, and what humans have done over the last hundreds of years, there's been amazing breakthroughs, but we're now beginning to look at restoring our body's natural defense mechanism. If you look at what's the best thing to fight disease, to fight viruses, fungi and infection is our own immune system. So, why are we putting antibiotics into our body to destroy that <laughs> immune system? Okay. Why are we doing that? We need to elevate and recover and facilitate our body's process to fight all of that. So do you think that uh, Ben's children are going to have, or currently have healthier immune systems because they're in Costa Rica. They've moved from San Diego to Costa Rica. What, what biologically do you think happened to their uh, microbiota, to their bacteria in moving from San Diego and getting water from near the Salton Sea to the mountains of Costa Rica? Well, I, you know, I'm not a doctor or scientist, but, they, but, the, the, but just from the air they breathe and the water sources they take and the environment that they're naturally in, um, if they're at a young age, they are building their immune and defense systems from a very young age to combat all of the, the forces for the rest of their lives. So they actually are developing better immune systems, better natural um, defenses that they can use for the rest of their lives. I mean, to run to a doctor for a common cold is unconscionable. To, to be taking medicines and uh, chemicals in your system to get rid of a common cold, the fact is, is that you will not live a long life. 
because all of those chemicals are breaking down your natural defense system. Yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable, but the cold is going to go away in two or three and four days anyway. And if it doesn't, then you should be able to take a look at something. But our bodies have an incredible natural way to get rid of so many things. If you have a little cut on your body or you have, you know, a skin irritation, jump in the Pacific Ocean, jump in the water. It is the, the ocean has so many healing capabilities that you are not even aware of. It's salt water. Salt is such a healing mechanism. Um, all of the different minerals and all of the things that are in salt water are so beneficial for you. So when I have a cut or I have a skin irritation, I go and I jump in the Pacific Ocean. And it's amazing how fast my cuts heal. It's amazing wow. how quickly my body rejuvenates and my skin is, is scrubbed and clean of harmful bacteria because of just going in the ocean. And so, um, Yes, I think, it's, uh, I think it's very beneficial to have your children in Costa Rica than growing up into a major city in the U.S. 100%. I'm, I'm sure they'll thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're building this community with 40 homes for our, all of our friends to come and raise their kids, and we're creating a school, and we're, we're creating a, a permaculture farm. So far, we've planted 15,000 food trees. And for fertilizer, we're, we're using chop and drop. Um, there's, you know, we, we grow specific types of trees that can then be chopped and the, uh, the nutrients go into the ground as fertilizer. Um, yeah, yeah John, you'd be, in, you'd be interested in rise in Costa Rica. Um, so, uh, uh, David Comfort is the visionary leader of it. And he teamed up with Stephen Brooks, who's been in Costa Rica for 20 years and is extremely knowledgeable about how to build uh, ecosystems and Stephen emphasizes and I've become a convert to this way of thinking uh, I'm, I'm an acolyte and worshiping in his church where he says we have to switch from a, a culture of, of, an, of annual crops like corn and wheat and soy uh, to perennials where we're eating off of nuts and, and yes. seeds from Very things important. that are always there which do not which have are more labor-intensive but are more nutri nutrient-packed. One of the ways to save the planet's right there, unquestionably. Very, very good. Um, one of, you know, I, I just wanted to get back to this, the, the interesting breakthrough about probiotics. And, and it was brought to my attention about a, a probiotic that I received from Russia. And digging into it, I had the opportunity for the actual Defense Department to reach out to me and go and explore this. And there is a closed city in Russia called Kolsovo. And Kolsovo is essentially a biological research center. It's the equivalent of, imagine the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and the US Army Chemical and Biological Defense Command. So it's a closed city in Russia. It is created, the entire place was created to establish the work of the Soviet scientists to find a countermeasure to bioattack. The 4,000 scientists worked to develop a protection against a biogenetic disaster when the nature of the attack isn't known. So there are chemical weapons going on, both bacterial, viral, et cetera, 
and they discovered the antidote. They discovered the antidote that is fast and easy to administer. I actually have a package of it here with me. And what this is, is it is a, how did they do it? They went to Siberia and they found a core bacterium in the soil. And that source are so unique since it comes from, again, one of the most remote, ecologically pristine and untouched places on the earth. And they took all of this bacteria and 4,000 scientists perfected it over decades and created the ultimate, ultimate probiotic. This probiotic is given to soldiers, the president, everyone in Russia to basically protect you from a biological attack because it, it boosts your immune system so high and it, it gets rid of all the bad bacteria in your body. And, and I'm going there. I'll be the first American ever allowed in there to speak with the scientists, get more information about this and ultimately bring this back for sale to the United States. Now, have wow. I been taking this? I actually have. I, I started a regimen of it, and I can tell you the m main effect that it has done for me is just when I get up, I feel so much better. I don't feel as tired. Um, you know, I feel I have so much more energy. I actually can think clear. Now, there are so many other things that this does, but I can't talk about it because then it becomes a medicine. If you start saying some of these things, cure this and heal that, right. and do that it's labeled a medicine, and then the, the FDA gets involved, and you'd be surprised how many things are not allowed to be sold because it's called a medicine. When actually, in actuality, yeah, that's just it's happening not. now with the kratom. They, you know, basically people are saying, oh, it has medicinal properties, so let's now regulate it and make it illegal for people to use it. Correct. And, since, it's, and, since medicine is being studied. Correct. And also what's amazing about this is I'm doing, I'm doing tests with this, micro, you know, this microbial product for animals as well. So I want to use this to wean off all of the cattle of biotics, of antibiotics, and put a natural biological defense system in animals so we're not eating antibiotics in our food. A lot of the hospital patients have problems because when they eat chicken or meat, the amount of chemicals and drugs in that meat actually hurts their own drug regimen because it, it's conflicting with all of that. And so I want to put this in the, the, the future of food when it comes to defenses is using the animals and boosting the animals' natural defense system whether it's the trees. I mean, everything has a natural defense system. Why are we using fertilizer where we can use a natural defense system for the plants, animals, and trees? This is the future, not continual the use of the antibiotic regimen, which, as you know, is running out. As you know, it's becoming less and less effective. Makes sense to me. So our show is coming uh, to the one-hour mark. Can you tell us about the real lightsaber? Oh, okay. Yeah, this is interesting. Again, this is a <laughs> this is um, essentially in in Latvia there was a, a group that uh, came from 
again, Latvia was part of the Soviet Union. They developed um, materials there that were used for the Defense Department as well as the government. And they created a, a, a pen, which essentially, when lit, heats up to 2,800 degrees centigrade. So whatever that is in Fahrenheit. So it, it lights up. Uh, it's oh, wow. About the size, it's about the size of a flare. And you light that one end. It lasts for 30 seconds and cuts through solid steel, cuts through, cuts through fences, gates, cuts through windows, wood. And it's essentially, you know, used when there's totally in, inaccessible areas where you can't bring a saw down and cut. Um, when there's no electricity, when there's no electric gas welding equipment, or it's impossible to use. So if there's a massive earthquake in LA, and most people die because their leg is simply trapped on a two by four, uh, they could crawl out, but they're just simply trapped and no one can get them. You really want something like this that you can light and cut through a two by four instantly, cut through rebar instantly, because again, it's 2,800 degrees, just melts things right before your eyes. And um, I, 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 actually, I actually are looking at them. They're all spoken for, but one of the names on the pen, oddly enough, says Alex Lightman on it. So, Alex, next time I see you, you will have <laughs> oh, one of these pens. And there's Yeah. There's oh, baby, I want it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Thank you. Yeah, and just one of the many, many things that I, I find around the world, and, and you're seeing, you know, economies that had to go through tremendous hardship and didn't have massive R&D budgets. They used their um, creativity to create items. You're seeing so much, that, so much of that in the former Soviet Union. I mean, the joke, you've heard the joke how the United States spent millions and millions of dollars developing a pen for space. And so they, Russia had, Russia didn't bring a pen for space because America was thinking, how does the ink and it's going to float and how does it work for the ballpoint and all of that? Well, Russia came up with a simple solution. They used a pencil. So, so, <laughs> so things like that, things like that are, are, are very ingenious. And, you know, when I travel the world, I stay away from politics. I stay away from the right and wrong. You know, all of those people, those are their problems. They're not my problems. And, and go in looking for all of these little gems that exist all over the planet and, and bring them here in the United States. So it's, 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 it's very exciting to look and do this. And, you know, if I, you were asking me some things to, you know, some of the three things we should really do, I think um, if you drink more water, 100%, we do not drink more water. I really believe one glass of wine a day is very good for you. It helps digestion. It's proven in parts of the world where there's a lot of longevity, the Mediterranean diet. Um, it's, it's a natural blood thinner. It has tremendous amounts of anti, uh, anti, um, uh, antioxidants. antioxidants, anti-inflammatory properties yes um also uh we should eat less meat just in general we really should really cut down on eating our meat and more seafood if possible 
Uh, you look in Japan where those people are, it's more seafood uh, to eat. So those are, those are, you know, three of the things for your simple things that you can look forward to do. Other things is, oddly enough, I truly believe that we should tip more. You know, I know it, it doesn't have to do with food, but these are people that, that are giving you their food. I think tipping, um, you know, almost look at it also as a charity. And when you give away and you're giving thanks to people bringing you your meal, they go through a lot. I think it makes you feel better. Look at it as a, as a tremendous act of charity and thanksgiving for these people going out, working hard, and bringing you an incredible plate of food. Um, yeah. It's all about gratitude, right? Yes, I mean, like, yes. if, if everyone had this gratitude. So I, I do that. I mean, I had a uh, – there's our favorite resort restaurant um, down the street is Alta Gracia. And the other day I tipped, I tipped somebody $40 for uh, just for driving me back to my car. The, the, the place is so big, they, they take you on a golf cart. So I gave them $40. They make $20 a day. Like an eight-hour day is $20, right? And just like the look on their face. And if I buy something for uh, the woman that takes care of us here, if I buy something for her, she cries, right? Like just it's like injecting gratitude and positive awesome things for people into your life. It, it, that's you're, the spice of life. You're so right. I mean, going into a restaurant and realizing that you're going to get this incredible plate of food. I mean, I grew up in, in a household of, of one of the major religions that every meal that came on the table, you blessed it and you gave thanks for that food. And I never thought about it being young. It was just something we did. But the older I got, I realized that it, it, it's a simple form of gratitude. And then we never ate meat on Fridays, which was kind of funny because it was like, okay, part of not eating meat, giving thanks for our food and going into a restaurant before you even walk in with the attitude that, wow, there's a human being that's working in this place all day long. That's actually going to go and bring me incredible food. Thank you. Like, how can I give thanks? Not only saying it, but a little bit of, of our yeah. hard work and appreciation, putting it in their pocket. And, um, you know, it shouldn't be this battle and what, who, and what gets. It's like, you know what, that's, that's not for me to realize. I'm going to go in there with my hands open and so happy that these people are, are doing this job that I, I don't know how they can do and the abuse they take and the, their own stresses and they're on their feet all day long. I just have to tip them well. I have to. Yeah. There's just un. There's no way else out of it. Well, I have the belief that the more you give, the more you receive too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's uh, having gratitude and having that 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 happiness, and even even when you're eating food, to have that is gratitude is one of the elements of true happiness. There's, I, I want to I have a mild pivot from that because this is one of my rare opportunities to have um, somebody from one of my groups of friends um, meet another one and hear something very, very interesting. Um, ben, can, for closing our show, do you mind telling John about your methodology with 1D to 7D consciousness 
and because I think it would be very interesting if John has a comment about how you could apply that to working and uh, with food and nutrition and and things. Do do you mind oh, cool. going over it quickly and letting him have yeah. a reaction? Yeah, I can. I, can I do it quick, uh, so. John, I I love what Ben is about to tell you. I think it's awesome, and it and it actually has been one of the cooler things that I've been thinking about this year. So please, Ben, thank you. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll keep this quick. So we, cause we, we actually talk about the, so we have a program right now called 5D business school and we teach people how to do business, how to bring more money into their life and, and operate their business in a way where people naturally want to work with you by, by focusing on the different aspects of the first 12 dimensions of consciousness, right? So like 3D, the third dimension would be, um, you know, our, your standard world, right? If you could touch it, that's considered 3D. Uh, it's also like the, taking care of your 3D tasks, right? Like sh- you got to get a shower. You got to eat. What are you eating? What are you putting in your body? Are you exercising, right? 2D is nature. It's food. It's, um, you know, it, it's go- it, the, the, and the importance of this in business is going outside and getting in nature and letting nature heal you, right? Being in the trees, being in the oxygen, being in clean water. <laughs> being in the Pacific right? Ocean, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just letting nature heal you, right? Wow, wow. And, and all the stuff that – and this is part of the reason we moved to Costa Rica is we were living in San Diego, and, and uh, there, were, there were a few places that, that you could go, but just not like here, not like the lush green rainforest. I mean, we had to get away from the drought, and uh, I mean, there's yeah, just San, monkeys. Yes, yeah, yeah, San Diego has more nuclear reactors than any city um, – in the world, you know why? Because of all the nuclear ships that are sitting out there. <laughs> anyway, interesting. Cool. Yeah. So, and then you know, getting up to the higher dimensions, you know, getting up to five D, where it's like, I, I am the reality creator. I'm the creator. And and what do I want to create if I could do anything without limitation, right? And um, we we also look at different laws of the universe and where they fit into these different aspects different dimensions. And so one of the laws of the universe that I think Alex was probably picking up on that we were just talking about is the law of giving and receiving, Interesting. right? Uh-huh. The more, the more you give, the more you receive, the more you receive, the more you have to give, you know, there are a lot of people that focus on, I want to give, 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 but then they have no more left to give. They're empty and you know, they can't afford to give anymore. And so it's, so it's actually an important thing to be able to receive as well, to be that, you know, the person at that restaurant, to be able to receive that tip and receive gratitude. Like receiving is actually a, it, it's an action. It's not a, receiving isn't an, um, a passive act, right? Even like you look at receiving love, right? If you compliment somebody and you give somebody gratitude, you know, they could brush it off and, you know, say, yeah, whatever, or deflect it and say, no, thank you. But to actually sit and receive it takes work and it takes self-love. And so, yeah, there's, there's plenty of, uh, uh, you know, also like the, the, you know, people talk about the law of attraction, but there's also the law of repulsion. I don't just want to attract everything into my life. There's lots of things I want to repulse and get out of my life. And how can I change my environment? 6D, 6D is about focusing on your environment and where is, you know, it's, it's, phys- it's, um, you know, it's sacred geometry and it's, you know, so this is why we're, we're here in Costa Rica is we, we shifted our environment and now we're in a place where our higher selves, our best selves can be in more of the time. 
Um, not because Costa Rica is right for everybody, but because it's right for us. Yeah, so, no, that's really that's that's really amazing things. That's cool that all that stuff's. I like how it's put into words. You know, it took a while to get it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, nice. I love the environment stuff because it's like okay, when you get back from a trip from New York, is your mind full of people? Or is your mind full of architecture, trees, parks, you know? And, and that's, that's kind of how I see things with cities. I, I want to go and look at the environment around instead of looking at all the people and looking at what someone's wearing, what shoes they have, what dress they have on, um, what phone they're using. Get away from all of that and look at the environment you're around, the beauty that's actually there the beauty of an old brick building or the beauty of a rusted gate or there's so much around your environment. That's really good. Other than, you know, looking at, 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 at people all the time, we see enough yeah. of that, you know, we're not using our eyes. We don't use our sense of smell anymore. I mean, pick up an apple and just cut it open. The first thing you should do is smell it and, and smell yes. that incredible smell of a fresh cut apple and then put it into your mouth. I mean, it is, <laughs> it, it sounds weird, but try it. It it's just makes you feel great. And then remind you. That's a 60 concept. We cover that in 60. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's enjoying cool. your food. It's enjoying everything. It's everything is an active intent intention, right? It's looking at everything and seeing the beauty in it and not just, you know, stuffing food into our face, but it's like you only eat things that, that smell amazing and taste amazing. And each, each meal, each bite, each, each time I chew, each time I, my teeth close and crunch whatever I'm eating is a meditation. And uh, I, if I'm eating good food, it sounds like I'm having good sex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a very vocal eater. Yes. Ab- absolutely. It uh, you know, it it's amazing simple things that are out there that we don't I mean really use every day uh from even a simple lemon. I mean the benefits of cutting a lemon in the morning, squeezing a piece of that lemon, putting it into a coffee cup and pouring hot boiling water over that and drinking mm. that as the first uh, first drink of the day. I mean, the benefits of that, how it cleans your system, adds alkaline in your body. I mean, it's completely natural, you know, and, and why do we need to have a chemical drink in the morning? I mean, it, it's crazy to me, but, but Madison Avenue has gone so overboard into convincing you and using taste and smell to trick you into thinking that's good for your body. Yes. And I, I love everything you're saying. And I mean, we drink, we drink lemon in our water all day, every day. We drink, we drink probably a gallon of water every day. We eat avocados for breakfast. We have these here, here in Costa Rica, we have these giant avocados. They're, they're called like agua de avocados or something like that. And they're just these coconut sized, big coconut size avocados and we just eat it in the morning we eat it all day uh it's and it's so i mean it, life is good life is good like good food is 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 just 
it's the spice of life. And this is what I wanted to ask. Another question I had for you, speaking of spices, is, um, you know, they used to trade spices like they would trade gold, right? Yes. Like adding uh-huh. a little bit of spice to food. And so here where we're at in Costa Rica, it's a really, um, it's a, it's a really poor area. And in the restaurants and even when, when our, our domestic help cooks for us, uh, the food is really bland, and, and we have we have a ton of spices. It's one of the things that we we really like spice. And we were asking ourselves a couple of days ago, why don't they put any spice in their food? Why do they love flavorless food? And it hit me that oh, they just they probably aren't used to it. So when they're cooking at our house, they don't even think to use our spices. So I, this is actually something I was really excited to ask you about. Is what can you tell me about like the future uh yeah the future of spice the past of spice uh what is like it's something that we don't think about in the US or in the modern world about the importance of like sit like taking a second to taste your fucking food and enjoy it you know yeah i you know it's interesting spice so i traveled halfway around the world to uh, a country an island off the coast of India called Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka is is really known as where two spices come from, genetically come from. One is pepper and the other is cinnamon. And the oh. interesting thing is, is when I, I went there, it had just got um, – through with a tremendous civil war that lasted a really, really, really long time. And I went into these jungles where it was off limits for decades and decades. And in there were the giant untouched cinnamon grove. And if you know what cinnamon is, all cinnamon is, is the bark of a tree. And they cut and they cut the thin bark off of the trees with these knives they put them in the sun, it shrivels up and rolls, and then they stuff them into its form and cut them. And that's what cinnamon is. And cinnamon is so important from you. Now, there's two types of cinnamon. One is true cinnamon. That's the bark from the tree from Sri Lanka. But the majority of cinnamon we get here is a cinnamon that is... um, Saigon cinnamon and and that Saigon cinnamon is actually very very bad for you so the European Food Safety Authority basically coumarin which is in Saigon cinnamon causes liver and kidney damage in high concentrations and they banned a lot of it well 90% of the cinnamon we get in the United States is the bad Saigon cinnamon it's not the true cinnamon from Sri Lanka. So when you look at what cinnamon does for you, for your blood sugar, it is an absolute uh, 100% beneficial item to put in your coffee to reduce your blood sugar. It, It should be mandatory that diabetics have cinnamon in their diet. Mandatory, not all this other stuff. I mean, if you have just getting involved in diabetes, you should be taking spoonfuls of not the Saigon cinnamon, but the true cinnamon from Sri Lanka. And that's going to be another really big, trending, important item for your everyday take is cinnamon. Uh, 
And so what I did is I thought about it. I go, okay, what is cinnamon supposed to do? It's supposed to, you know, be a substitute really for sugar. Instead of putting sugar in your coffee every day, in your things, put cinnamon. It tastes good. It's really healthy for you. So I, one of my companies, I ground up cinnamon and I put it in sugar packets. So the hope is, is that when you go to a restaurant or you go to Starbucks, you have these cinnamon packets uh, alongside your sugar packets. So those are one of the items I bring in. Also, you know, famous black pepper comes from Sri Lanka as well. And it is a, uh, it is a spicy type of pepper that is so much more flavorable than the Indian subcontinent pepper that we get here in the United States. It's, it has different traits, different flavor profile. When you crack it, it is stronger. It's, it's, it's much more delicious. So the battles that took place, I mean, I think Sri Lanka changed hands four or five times from the Portuguese uh, to the British um, to the Dutch. I mean, it, it, that island has been in, in this giant tug of war and they use so many natural methods to cure people there. I mean, Buddha went there himself to get healed from an illness. So it's tremendous when you look at what they have from roots and the mixture that they put together uh, to use naturally uh, to help your body get rid of disease. And, and spices are a major part of that. Amazing. Um, okay, so we're, we're thanks for that answer. I, I had no idea about that that cinnamon thing. Now I got now I got to look into my cinnamon too. Yeah, oh, wow. I'm really happy. I'm gonna go after this. One of my things <laughs> I'm gonna take is to go to Penzi's Spices here in downtown Santa Monica. They have I noticed that they had several different um, origins for their spices, and I didn't realize that the Sri Lanka was the best. So thank you for that. Thank you yes. very 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 this much. Such, this is such a good education. Stay away again from the toxicity of coumarin, which is known to cause liver and kidney damage. And the European Food Safety Commission banned that type of cinnamon from being administered to kids. Well, we haven't done it here in the United States. 90% of the cinnamon you get here has the toxicity of coumarin in it. And it's called Saigon cinnamon. You just ask, you ask, is this true cinnamon? Is it from Sri Lanka or, or is it from Vietnam or India or China? And so the majority of it comes from China and it's very. Sri Lanka is literally the only place you can get good cinnamon. Yes. Sri Lanka is the only place in the world that true cinnamon is grown. It can't grow anywhere else. They've tried and tried and it just won't grow anywhere else. Ah. So I would be very careful because I think the future is they're going to try and trick you like Italy does with olive oil. They'll say, oh, yeah, this is from Sri Lanka when it's not. Um, You could tell. Remember, cinnamon is a bark. And you could actually tell. I would go and you could tell visibly the difference as well. But I can't explain that over the phone. So right, I if you've seen and, it, you and, can probably see it. Yeah, I, I can see it. I know what it is. I would ask, look, give me the cinnamon, give me the Saigon cinnamon, and then I want the cinnamon from Sri Lanka. And tell and look at the difference. Now, the Sri Lankan cinnamon doesn't taste as 
sugary and good as the other cinnamon. That's why people prefer that. But it's the coumarin that is really bad for you. I mean, it is, it, it is not good for your liver and kidneys where the other cinnamon is. And it's the cinnamon, true cinnamon from Sri Lanka. It has a thinner bark and things like that. Um, one of the things I did is I created a coffee. Um, it's called a Mexican coffee. And I work with a company out of New York. And I'm thinking, how can I really get this cinnamon in people's drinks? And I'm like, ah, I got the idea. I took the coffee beans. I took the uh, uh, cinnamon, the Sri Lankan true cinnamon, and, and pounded it up and put it in the little cinnamon bark inside the coffee beans. So now when you go and grind your coffee beans, you're grinding the cinnamon as well. Okay, I'm going to get my bag of cinnamon. What should I put my cinnamon in now that I'm ready to to go full hog on cinnamon? (laughs) But but make sure, make make like look at pepper. Don't buy ground pepper. Buy whole pepper and grind it yourself. Go buy cinnamon sticks and go out and buy a cinnamon grinder, or buy something to grind up the cinnamon so then it turns into a fresh powder, like fresh cracked pepper. Would you rather have pepper that you shake or someone freshly cracking the pepper on your salad? Crack it open, baby. Same thing with cinnamon. Go out and get the cinnamon barks. Do not get the powdered cinnamon. Okay, I need to, I need to, I have to ask you a question. And this, it, 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 like a 20 second answer, 30 second answer. (laughs) What did you do with the Pope? Oh yeah, that, that, well, that was interesting. Um, about uh, in, in, in 2005, 2006, um, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of unfortunate things happening. Um, there was a lot of accusations and scandals, and the church was going through you know, a pretty, pretty interesting period of time, very controversial period. And one of the things is um, a gentleman in Rome brought me there to bring some music and some good things uh, through some funding to the church. And one of the ideas I had was let's, let's bring, let's bring some very green environmental issues to the church. So through a company in San Francisco and through uh, Cardinal Poupard, as well as people in the Vatican, we made the Vatican the very first carbon neutral country in the world by planning enormous amount of trees in Hungary and offsetting the carbon footprint of the Vatican. It's symbolic in nature, but it actually got people discussing the environment inside the Vatican, which really hadn't been happened before. And then from that solar panels went up. Um, We did a big event with Lawrence Bender came to the Vatican and, and talked about the environment in front of, cardinals and did a presentation in one of the major cathedrals and it really sparked the environment as an issue that needed to be discussed not read about so um that was initially what i i i will sit here and take credit for bringing those issues to the vatican which were never really brought to before very cool okay lightning round lightning round good for you or bad for you Yes or no? GMOs? No. Fluoride? No. And toothpaste? No. Uh, Barium in the air? Uh, No. 
Pesticides? Yes. <laughs> okay. Great. Awesome. John, it's been so great having you on the show. What an education. Alex, thanks for the introduction. Uh, just, You're welcome. I, I, thank, I, you for, thank you for doing the show. I really enjoyed it, and I hope that people get value out of it for themselves and their families. I know they will. So, John, how can people find you? What's your website? How can we find your amazing uh, um, uh, product that you're about to go get from Russia? Where can when when is that going to be available to us? I want uh, you know you know what I I want to bring that in next year. Um, I have you know I have a lot of my products are actually private labeled, um, but uh, there will be you know I'll make an announcement next year of Sutton Selects, which is basically a brand that. I'm either going to tape on existing products as, as with all these products I go and find around the world. So I have a Sutton Selects brand that will be launching next year um, with, with taking in consideration all of the benefits, all of the real labeling requirements and everything, and, and bringing that to everybody. Oh, that's so cool. I've always been fascinated with the idea of being a traveling merchant. So I'm, I'm thinking about quitting my business and traveling with you. You're welcome. I, I, you're, you're all welcome. In fact, that's one of the things I would love to do. Is in, you know, my tell us show about your I, tell 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 Ben and our audience about your TV show. Yeah, no. Briefly, I'm I'm doing a television show that is not a food show. You know, where you're going and mm, the food tastes good. It's really about how does this food get to your table? Yeah, it's about the origin, but it's like okay, that avocado just showed up in my kitchen. And it's about me having to go to the jungles and negotiate with the food packers and, and talk, so to, cool. you know, talk to the people in the trees. It's like, how did my pine nuts leave Siberia and get to you know, the shelves of these supermarkets? I had to literally go into the forest with bags of cash and, <laughs> and pay all the pickers and then fight with the governor to get an export document and fly back to Moscow, oh, pay a guy wow. to get a stamp on a piece of paper, fly all the way back to Siberia. So it's showing people the wow. entrepreneurial, the struggle side oh, and, amazing. And, and fighting.